Psalm 19. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the works of his hands. Day after day they pour forth speech. Night after night they display knowledge. There is no speech or language where the voice is not heard. Their voice goes out into all the earth, their words to the end of the world. In the heavens he has pitched a tent for the sun, which is like a bridegroom coming forth from his pavilion, like a champion rejoicing to run his course. It rises at one end of the heavens and makes its circuit to the other. Nothing is hidden from its heart. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The ordinances of the Lord are sure and altogether righteous. They are more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, than honey from the comb. By them is your servant warned. In keeping them, there is a great reward. Who can discern his errors? Forgive my hidden faults. Keep your servant also from willful sins. May they not rule over me. Then will I be blameless, innocent of my transgressions. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Well, good day, everyone. I hope you had a great Christmas. My name is Scott. We're taking us through Psalm 19 now. In 1954, Albert Einstein wrote a letter. Earlier this month, at an auction, that letter was sold for $3.9 million. Why? What's so special about this letter? Was it about one of his great scientific discoveries? outlining how he felt when he understood something fresh for the first time. No, in fact, this letter has nothing to do with physics at all. Was this a newly discovered letter then, something we hadn't ever read before? Again, no, this was a well-known letter. You could look up on the internet for the past however many years and read the letter for yourself. So what is it? What is so special about this letter? This letter was different, special even, because in this letter, Albert Einstein, the great mind, one of the great minds of human history, talks about religion. It's known as the God letter. In it, Einstein is writing to a philosopher friend, and he wants to outline where he thinks the two friends agree and disagree about religion. And to our modern ears, it feels like he's not pulling his punches at all. He's going really hard. Have a listen to a couple of Einstein zingers. This is what he says about God. The word God for me is nothing more than the expression and product of human weakness. Or here's his take on religions in general. For me, the Jewish religion, like all other religions is an incarnation of the most childish superstition. He doesn't hold back, does he? But this is the one I really wanted to zoom in on today. This is Einstein's take on the Bible. He says, The Bible, for me, is a collection of honourable but still purely primitive legends, which are nevertheless... Pretty childish. No interpretation, no matter how subtle, can change this for me. 
here is a man who does not love his Bible. (laughs) And his letter sold for $3.9 million. And I think part of that reason is because a lot of people in today's society share his view. He has this great mind, this great thinker, and he's espousing exactly what I think. See, the Bible, it's not in vogue. It wasn't in vogue for Einstein, and it's not in vogue generally today in 2018. And I don't suspect as we head into 2019, it's going to suddenly become part of the fashion either. And this week we're starting a summer series, preaching through some of the Psalms. And today we're starting at Psalm 19. We just read it before. And you probably noticed when we read it, that Psalm 19 has a very different view to Albert Einstein. Psalm 19 says, The law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. This seems like the complete opposite of Einstein's view, isn't it? One says, it's all just make-believe, it's fairy tales, it's myths and legends. The other says, it's perfect. What about you? What, What do you say? What do you say about the Bible? And then does that actually shape your life? That's the questions we're asking today. If you're a note-taker, there's an outline there on the screen for you that should help you. I'll leave it there for a short little while. But before we go any further, it'd be right for us to pray and ask God as we come to his word to help us understand. So let's pray and ask for that help now. Our Lord God, the Bible tells us that you're wonderful, that that as we open the Bible, uh, we can get to know you and, and see your beauty and glory. And yet so much of our, of our age and our society seems to disregard the Bible. So our God, we wanted to just pray for your help. Please let us understand your word today. And where we need to change, we pray, God, that you would lead us in making that change. We ask these things in the name of Jesus, our Saviour. Amen. So today we're asking, what do you make of the Bible? And as we start off, we're going to be thinking about the skies, uh, the, the heavens, the universe, all that's kind of up and out there, which might seem like a strange, maybe even silly starting point. But there's something about the skies and the scriptures that they both have in common. That is, they both tell us about God. Today, the first point is this. The skies tell a partial story. The skies tell us a partial story about God. It starts in verse 1. We saw this before. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. When we look at the skies, we, we, we see a story, a story about a God who is a glorious creator. And it's a story that the skies tell on repeat, day or night, it doesn't matter. The skies keep telling their story. Now, my guess is you probably haven't heard the moon or the clouds talk to you recently. Is, is that right? I was hoping someone would put up their hand because I really wanted to, <laughs> to ask you a question. But uh, we, we, we don't hear them, and, and that's what verse 3 says. Look at verse 3. They have no speech, they use no words, no sound is heard from them. 
if you've got one of the church Bibles there, you'll see verse 3 reads slightly differently. There's a little bit of uh, uncertainty about how to translate this verse. But I think what we've got on the screen there is, is just about right. They have no speech, they use no words, no sound is heard from them. The skies, they don't literally talk to us. But their presence, their very being, is a testimony. It's a testimony. They show off God's creativity and God's glory to us. They don't rely on speaking. And actually, that's a really good thing. Because it means that their message can cross language barriers. Look at verse 4. Their voice goes out into all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. No language barrier can stop this message from going forth. It doesn't matter where you are, in the city, the jungle, or the desert. You can be in the bush at the beach or out in the Barossa. No matter where you are, the skies keep repeating their story to you. God is the glorious creator. But there's something limited about the skies, isn't there? That is, they only tell us a partial story. They tell us there's a God, he's our creator, and he's glorious, but, but not much more than that. You know, from the skies we can know something of God's love, but we'll never under the, understand the, the full extent of his grace to us, of his mercy to us. From the skies we can learn something of God's goodness, but we'll never get the depths of his holiness, the integrity of his justice by looking up at the stars. The skies only give us a partial story. It's like getting a book at the shops and reading the blurb on the back. You might get to figure out if it's a crime novel or a period drama. You might get to understand some of the characters' names. You might even get a little bit of the plot line on the blurb. But the blurb will never give you a full sense of the book. You'll never get to understand the intricacies of the characters. You'll never know where the plot line is heading unless you actually open the book and read it. You need something more than the blurb. And if we're going to know God, we need something more than the skies as well. Which is why the next part of the psalm goes on to something different. The skies tell a partial story, yes, but the scriptures tell a perfect story. The scriptures tell a perfect story. That's point two today. It's perfect in the sense of it being complete. Uh, the, the skies had a partial story, but in the scriptures we find everything we need to know about God. Everything we need to know about God is in the Bible for us. But you know, that's not where the psalm actually spends most of its time talking about. Most of the psalm is spent talking about two other ways in which the scriptures is perfect. But that might not be the first impression you get. As you read through the psalm, particularly in verses 7 to 9, you see the scripture is referred to by lots of different words. It's called the law, the statutes, the commands, the decrees, and they're all words about rules. And who really likes rules? My idea of a good novel is not the statutes of the Australian Parliament from 1987. On a lazy afternoon, I'm not kicking back reading a copy of the Constitution of the Australia. And yet, the scripture perfectly fits our need. Look at how it's described. 
It's trustworthy. It's right. It's, it's, it's radiant, pure, firm or, or true. Those are the things we want. Those are the things we need. And that's not all. We get more in verse 10. Look at verse 10. Uh, the scriptures are more precious than gold. And not just a little bit of gold. More precious than much pure gold. They're sweeter than honey, than honey from the honeycomb. At my high school, we had um, uh, beehives as part of the ag department. And a few times, I, I got to be one of the ones that harvested the, be- the, the honey from the hives. So you get suited up in your suit, and you go down with your smoke machines to the, to the hives, and you get the frames out. You've got to brush the bees off and take them back to the extractor, and they get put in the extractor, and you whirl around, and the honey comes out. But then at the end, there's these, there are bits of honeycomb that's left over. And if you went into the beehives to get, the, to get the, the frames out, you got to eat the honeycombs. And it was, it's delicious. You kind of just chew in and there's that waxy bit that holds it all together. But then as, as your, your mouth closes, the honey kind of just oozes out the side and drips on. It's just delicious. <laughs> Has anyone done this before? It's just fantastic. A couple of hands. It's fantastic, isn't it? It's so sweet. And that's the image in the psalm here. That's how desirable God's word is. It, it perfectly fits our needs. It's, you can tell why, why the psalm is so positive about Scripture, can't you? But wait, there's more. I, sound, I want to sound like one of those guys selling steak knives on TV. There's more. It's true. Scripture is perfect also in the effect that it has in us. Look at what happens when we immerse ourselves in Scripture. Again, this is verses 7 to 9. Look at what it says. Scripture refreshes our soul. It makes the simple become wise. It gives joy to the heart and light to the eyes. It endures forever, never changing, always righteous. Aren't these things good things? In the busy and demanding world, I, I want refreshment for my soul. In an age that's confusing and strange at times. I want the thing that will make me wise. I, I want the thing that will light the way for me to walk down. And what else really does this? A holiday might refresh my soul, but it doesn't really make me wise, does it? it certainly doesn't endure forever. A hobby might bring joy to your heart, but rarely will it show you the way to go in life. And if we're honest, hobbies aren't exactly what we call righteous. But that's what the scriptures are. The scriptures do all of this. The Bible does all this. As I read the Bible, I get to meet my God and, and I find myself refreshed when I know him and rest in him. As I read the Bible, I'm made wise. I know how to live in God's world. I, I read the Bible and it brings joy to my heart as I hear about my salvation. The scriptures are righteous. By them I learn what it is to be righteous. And it doesn't stop there. There's still more. We're in the midst of an onslaught in this psalm, aren't we? Look at verse 11. By them, by the scriptures, your servant is warned to keep them. Sorry, in keeping them there is great reward. Scripture has this effect of warning us, of, of, of correcting us if we're going to stray keeping us on the path to heavenly reward, you can see why the writer of this psalm is just so overly enthusiastic about the Bible. 
Yes, the skies tell us something good and they tell us something true, but they're limited. In the scriptures, we get to know our God. And not just know our God, but we get to know what it is that pleases him. And once we know what it is to please God, we get to then live a life before God that is pleasing to him. And that not that just amazing? You know, when this psalm was written, there was no New Testament. In fact, a lot of the Old Testament wasn't even written. And yet, the psalm still delights in all of the Bible, in the scriptures. And rightly so, because in every part of the Bible, doesn't matter if it's the New Testament or the Old Testament, we meet the same God. And in meeting God, there's great joy. So I just wanted to say now, don't neglect your Old Testaments. Because that's kind of easy to do, isn't it? Uh, the Old Testament can be confusing at points. It, it, it can make us squeamish at times in some of the things it talks about. But the solution isn't to abandon the Old Testament. The solution isn't to kind of throw it out and never pick it up again. But instead, we need to rediscover our Old Testaments to immerse ourselves in it and enjoy it, to to meet our God in the Old Testament. And if we're finding it tough, the thing we do is we ask others for help. Talk with one another. The the, the Bible is not there for us to kind of read in our own little uh, private enclaves. The Bible is there for us to read together. So if if you're reading the Old Testament and you're finding it hard, talk to one another. Maybe Maybe even try reading an Old Testament book at the same time as a friend. Each week, catch, talk to each other on the phone or, or catch up for a coffee. What did you find this week? I found this thing really hard. I don't know what that means. This was brilliant. Talk about it with one another. You know, there's books that you can read that will help give you a framework. There's resources we can use to help us step through some tricky parts. But let's not give up on the Old Testament. In fact, why not make it your New Year's resolution to read more of the Old Testament this year than you did last year? Or, or to read a new part of the Old Testament that you have never really touched before? Let's not give up on our Old Testaments. Where are we? We've said the skies tell a partial story and the scriptures tell a perfect story. So our third point today then is just, how do you respond to this? How do you respond after you meet your glorious creator, after you know, begin to get a taste of what it is to please him, how do you respond to that? Psalm 19 really just urges us to two things. Firstly, recognize you've fallen short. And then secondly, grow in your desire to please God. Let's look at those two things. From verse 12, let's start there. Verse 12 says, But who can discern their own errors? Oh, forgive my hidden faults. Keep your servant also from willful sins that they may not rule over me. Then I'll be blameless and innocent, innocent of great transgression. As the writer of the psalm reflects on, on what he knows of God, what he knows of God from the skies and, and really from the scriptures, there's one realization he has. He knows he's fallen short. 
He's not pleased God with his life. There are hidden faults that he's unaware of. There's willful sin that he's walked into. And and he knows that without God's help, he's going to keep doing those same things. Now, that might not be the nicest thing to admit about ourselves, but, but really, that's all of us, isn't it? We fall short of pleasing God time and again. And despite our best efforts, despite, despite us trying harder, that's, that's what we keep doing. And so you see in the psalm here a plea for God's help. A plea. God, only, only when, when you keep me from sin, only then will I be blameless. So the answer to sin doesn't come from within me. The answer to sin comes from without. I, I, I admit that I fall short. I ask for forgiveness and I ask for God's help to change my ways. And that's actually where the psalm goes then. We recognize that we fall short, but, but the psalm then also talks about this ongoing desire to please God. Look at verse 14. This is how it ends. May these words of my mouth and this meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, Lord, my rock and my redeemer. This really is, a, I think, a great prayer. It's a prayer about totally desiring to please God with life. The mouth signifies the, the, the outside, what everyone sees and hears, the external things. The heart signifying the inside life, what happens on the inside, my inner thoughts. and It's a picture of totality, wanting every aspect of your life to please God. And of course, how does that happen? Again, it happens through God's help. That's what verse 13 told us. But it also happens through the scriptures. Because what else is it that shows us how to please God? What gives light to our eyes? What gives wisdom to the simple? The scripture does. The Bible does. And as we read the Bible, God helps us by his spirit to understand what it means for us and and then gives us the power to live it out. So do you want to please God? Then immerse yourself in the Bible. The scholars will tell you a part of the story, but the scriptures will give us the perfect story. So immerse yourself in the Bible. Einstein says the Bible is a collection of legends, of myths. It's, it's childish. Nothing, he says, can change his mind. Psalm 19 is a different story. Psalm 19 says it's good for you to dive into the Bible. Because there you meet your God and there you can know how to please him. So where do you stand? Who, who do you stand with? Maybe you're here today and in reality you do stand with Einstein. You don't think much of the Bible. If that's you, I just want today to challenge you in just one way. Why not give the Bible a chance? Just, just, just give the Bible a chance in the new year. We're about to hit 2019. Why not just read just one book in the Bible? And if you are going to choose to read one book, I, I, the best place, I think, is to, is to read a book about Jesus because that's really the centre of the Bible. There's four books that, that are really centre on Jesus' life in the Bible, four kind of biographies of his life. And I'll give you the hint now. The shortest one is Mark. So just, just go to Mark. Uh, give it a go. What have you got to lose? 
Why not give the Bible a chance this year? Some of us, though, we're, we're at the place where Psalm 19 is. We think it is good for us to dive into the Bible. And if that's you, then I've just got one question I want to leave you to ponder with, and that is this. If you think the Bible is good and you want to dive into it, how are you going to let that shape you in 2019? How are you going to let that shape you and your priorities and what you do in 2019? Why don't I pray for us? Well, Lord, our God, when we look up into the skies and we see numerous things, things that are amazing, we can't help but acknowledge that you are our creator, that you are the God of glory. And yet we thank you, Father, that you've left us, not just with the skies, but with the scriptures that tell us about you, that help us get to know you more deeply. God, we pray, no matter where we're at, that this coming year, we pray and ask, please give us both the desire and then the, the, the ability to, 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 to live out lives where we, where we spend more time in the Bible this year, getting to know you, understanding what it is to please you, and then living that out. We need your help in this, Father, and we ask for it now in Jesus' name. Amen.